0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. First Samuel chapter 22. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit we thank you for just allowing us to be here. We sit at your feet, Lord, just ready to learn, just ready to take it all in, whatever you have for us tonight. And Lord, I'm just just one of your many vessels tonight, and it's a pleasure, and I desire to step aside and, and allow you to have your way. I pray that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified, and that all of us, Lord, will have teachable hearts and minds and Lord, that we'll apply whatever we learn to our lives with the help of your spirit. For Lord, we cannot do it alone. So, yes, once again, we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen. Amen. So first, Samuel, chapter 22. The title. Is attached to that for this lesson, as usual, and the title is caught in the drama. Caught in the drama. Now, many of us in our spare time may find ourselves relaxing and watching a movie, hopefully after your devotionals, hopefully after your time of prayer, your time of spending time with the Lord in the scriptures, fellowshipping with the saints, working, school, whatever it is you do throughout the day. Hopefully this will not be the main thing, but many of us in our spare time may relax and we may find ourselves watching a movie and of course there are various genres of movie and a genre by the way is a category of artistic composition for example like in music or literature they have genres and genres of course are marked by a distinctive style form or content and the drama genre in regard to movies is defined by conflict, and it often looks to reality. Now, in the drama genre of movies, you have emotions and intense situations that are the focus. But where other genres might use unique or exciting moments to create a feeling, movies in the drama genre According to one source, they they focus on common occurrences. They focus on real life situations. And according to another source in a good drama film, the audience is able to experience what other characters are feeling. And they're able to identify with someone in that movie that is in a drama genre. And one particular movie that, that comes to mind that would fit under the drama genre is, for me, this is my example, Remember the Titans. And, and I mention that because that's one of my favorite movies. It's a football movie. It's is, is clean that, that I can remember for the most part. And, of course, it's, you know, obviously biographical. It's historical. But it has a nice positive message to it and so i like remember the titans and there's sad parts there's funny parts and so forth and so you can identify with the characters their ups their downs their highs or lows to put it another way and now although some of us we may watch these dramas these 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 drama films we of course would like to have a life that is not filled with drama or to put it another way we would like a life that is not filled with conflict or to put it in a more um more of a slang type of way we would like a life that is not filled with mess see we would also love to not be a part of someone else's drama or mess if we could have it our way but unfortunately. As we study tonight's lesson, we're going to see someone who was caught in mess. We're going to see someone who was caught in drama. And of course, it won't be their own drama, as we'll find out. And we're going to get an opportunity to see how these things play out. And as I always say, we want to learn some spiritual nuggets, some things we can take with us and apply to our lives and then leave feeling more encouraged by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. And so with that being said, we do want to look at, once again, 1 Samuel 22. We're going to begin at the first verse. It says, David, therefore, departed from there. He departed from Gath. And Gath, of course, is a Philistine city. The Philistines were at that time the enemies of the nation of Israel. And it tells us in verse 1 that David escaped to the cave of Adullam. And Adullam was in the lowlands of Judah, the southern part of Israel. And Adullam was southwest of of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And so as we continue in verse 1, it says, So when his brothers, David's brothers, and all his father's house, his family, they heard it, they heard that he was in this cave of Adullam, It says they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented, they gathered to him. So he became captain over them. Or in other words, he became their leader. And there were about 400 men with him. And so we pause right there and and we're going to, share some, some spiritual nuggets, some spiritual truths, and hopefully we'll be able to once again find some encouragement just here where we parked in these first two verses. Now, some Bible scholars believe that this cave of Adullam is where David would go on to write Psalms number 57 and 142. Again, that's Psalms 57... And 142, so in your own time, you may want to take a look at those psalms because uh, that's probably where David wrote those psalms in that cave of Adullam. And so what we see here in these first two verses is that under Saul's reign as king of Israel, there were some people who were troubled. In other words, they, they were desperate. They were stressed out. They were in distress. And of course, there were some people in debt. And then there were some people who were discontented. They they were bitter about the situation under his rule as king. They were unsatisfied. Literally, it means they were bitter in soul. And these people who were bitter and troubled and in debt, they came to David and it says that he became a leader over them. He became their captain. And it's funny that, that we read this, uh, this part here in this lesson because there are many people today who feel that same way. There's many people right now who feel troubled. They, they, they're in debt and, and, and they're bitter about the situation we find ourselves in uh, in this world and, and, and in this particular government or even maybe uh, on our jobs or in our educational system, wherever that may be but we feel troubled and dead and bitter. See, some people are stressed out due to the burdens in their lives. They can't, they can't carry their troubles, their trials on their own. And so they're a little stressed out about it. They're in that narrow place. They're in anguish. These problems are too heavy for me. We would say, And they are. And that's it. That's a good place to be. You know, some people today, they realize they are in debt spiritually. And that's a good place to be because we are in debt spiritually. We are spiritually bankrupt. Jesus says that we're the poor in spirit. Unfortunately, some people don't realize they're poor in spirit. They don't realize they're spiritually in debt due to sin. And therefore, man or mankind can never work their way into heaven. And so, because we're in debt spiritually, the guilt is heavy upon us. Then there's some who were discontented, bitter, because nothing in this life has brought them the joy that they've been looking for. They sought after it. They read this book and that book. They flip from one TV show to a next to the next one. They bought one magazine and another magazine and yet and still they can't find the joy that they're looking for. They jump from one relationship to another from one job to another and yet and still cannot find the joy they're looking for. And so they're they're bitter. There is discontent in their lives. And as a whole, they find that that this world has been a disappointment this whole time. And it and it is a disappointment if that's where we're trying to put all of our hope. So if this is where you are tonight. In that place in which you're bitter, there's discontentment there. There's there's distress in your life and, and you feel that, that you're in debt. You can't climb your way out. If this is where you are, just like these men did when they joined up with, with David, the anointed king. Well, I would encourage you to join up with the true king of kings. That is Jesus Christ. Because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. He gives this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who labor. That is all of you who are weary and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Or to put it this way, to tie it into the lesson, all of you who are stressed out, you're in a bitter state, you, you are in that place of discontentment, you're desperate, you're in debt spiritually, you can't dig your way out, you're tired, you can't carry the load on your own. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Allow him to be the captain just like David was captain over these men who were unhappy under Saul's reign. Oh, the enemy and the flesh, and all of us have flesh. All of us have a sin nature. This world, this world system, they are cruel kings. Oh, just like Saul was. And I hope that anyone who tries to to make yourself king, you're, you, you, you make your flesh the king, you, you try to allow this world system to be your king. I, I pray that if you're in here tonight, you're watching tonight, you're listening tonight, I pray that you would be discontent with those other kings and join up with the true king, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would accept this invitation we see in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and to do it quickly because we don't have much time. In verse 3, it says, Then David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of heref, which is in the land of Judah. And so this stronghold uh, that he was staying in, maybe uh, it, it was a rugged mountain area with many hiding places. It could have been Masada. Some Bible scholars believe that, or it could be a reference to the cave of Adullam or to another fortress or stronghold. But either way, the prophet Gad said to him, don't stay there, go to the land of Judah. And so we find David here in the forest of But going back to verse 3, just to pause there real quick, it says that David took his parents to the king of Moab in order to keep his his parents safe. He wanted them to be in safety. And and maybe he felt comfortable doing this. Maybe he felt comfortable with the king of Moab, with leaving his parents there, because actually David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess. And his great-grandmother is none other than Ruth. And there is a book of the Bible that is named after Ruth. And so maybe that's why he felt comfortable taking his parents there to the place where his great-grandmother used to live. But what is admirable about what David did for his parents is that he was still looking out for them even in the midst of his troubles. And his trouble, of course, was trying to escape being killed by the king, by King Saul. And so even in the midst of that, he was still looking out for them. And when we think about that, what we see there out of David is unselfishness. But we also see that he was being obedient to the law of God in Exodus chapter 20, where it says to honor your father and mother. And so we see both of those things. We see unselfishness out of David and we see obedience. And we see both of those characteristics, obedience and unselfishness in Christ as well. And what's interesting is that Christ, according to his humanity, is a descendant of King David. And we see this obedience to to the law of uh, of honoring your parents. And, And we see this unselfishness by Christ. We see that on the cross because even while he was on the cross, even while he was in his own trial, He was in agony hanging on that cross. Even still, he was making arrangements for his mother, Mary, to be taken care of. He looked down at her and he said, Mother, behold your son, a reference to John the apostle. And then he looked at the apostle John and said, Behold your mother. And it says that the apostle John took Mary in from that time. And so even in the midst of Jesus's agony, Jesus was making arrangements and uh, for his mom to be safe. And, and so we see a picture of Christ and what David did for his parents. We, we see a picture of Christ in that unselfishness and that obedience of David. And verse six, it says, when, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered in Judah. It says, now Saul was standing in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah. With the spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him, it says, then in verse seven, Saul said to his servants who stood about him "Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse, speaking of David, give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? And he accuses his men. He says, all of you in verse eight have conspired. You secretly plan against me. And there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant or agreement with the son of Jesse. He refuses to call David by his name. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me. There is not one of you who cares about me. Saul is laying it on thick upon his men, his fellow Benjamites. None of you feel sorry for me or reveals to me that my son Jonathan had stirred up or incited my servant against me to lie in wait or to ambush me as it is this day. So we see that Saul questioned his men. And he questioned them to see if David promised to do certain things for them in in order to suggest that maybe that's the reason they were conspiring against him. And and remember, they're conspiring against Saul and Saul's own twisted mind at this point. But there's also a subtle message there when he accuses his men of, of maybe receiving a bribe from David. In the form of a promise, oh david, oh, he promised to give you fields and vineyards, he promised to give you leadership positions, and so the other the other message, the subtle message behind that is. That Saul is saying, well, since I'm the king, I'm the only one who can reward you with fields. I'm the only one who can reward you with vineyards. And I'm the only one who can reward you with positions. So I don't care what David promised you, what he bribed you with. I'm the king and only I can do these things for you. And remember, this is all going on in, in Saul's mind. But something else we see in Saul's statement and especially in verse eight, where he says that none of you is sorry for me, or none of you com- uh, cares about me, none of you has compassion upon me. When he says those things, what we see there is that saying, "Hurt people, hurt people, come to life." You ever heard that saying that "Hurt people, hurt people." And so we see Saul through the scriptures. We we see him hurting people. But we also see here in verse 8 that he was a hurt individual. And maybe his feelings was hurt because God removed him from the throne. Even though he literally hasn't stepped down yet, God already let him know that, hey, you're no longer qualified to be my king, the king of Israel. In fact, your descendants won't. Won't serve in that role either. And so he's hurt because of that. Samuel, who he was once close to. Stood on the word of God and spoke the truth to him. Passed this message on to him. And so maybe he's a little hurt. Well, Samuel's not on my side anymore. But he's a hurt person. And so once again, that saying hurt people hurt people. Now, this is not an excuse if someone in your life has hurt you or is hurting you. That's that's not an excuse. But this saying could be a reason of of why they have hurt you or why they are hurting you. Maybe they are hurt themselves. And maybe that's a reason for you. And not maybe. I can take that out if I can scratch that word off. I know that is a reason for you to pray for that individual. Because, of course, we're to love our enemies. We're to to pray for those who despitefully use us. And so pray for that person, whoever that person may be. Because holding on to that anger and holding on to that bitterness leaves a a door open for the enemy to gain a foothold, to stick his foot in and to wreak havoc. So forgive and, and pray for that person. Allow the Lord to do a work in that person's life. Turn them over to the Lord. But in verse 9, it says, Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. And and he said this. He said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for David. He gave him provisions. He gave David food. Remember, we saw that in, in chapter 21. And he says, and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so this this man steps up, this Doeg. And we see that he had no problem going along with the evil intentions of Saul. In fact, what he saw here was an opportunity to gain favor with the king. Because Saul was blasting the other men. He was blasting those guys. And he pointed out to them that they're Benjamites. And I think he did that for a subtle reason because, because David was from the tribe of Judah. And so in reminding them that, hey, you guys are Benjamites. It was almost a, a subtle jab at the fact that, hey, you shouldn't be conspiring with David, even though that was in his own mind and his own imagination. He was saying, hey, you should be on my side. Whoever I want to kill, you should want to kill. Whoever I'm against, you should be against them. You're Benjamites. And so uh, Doeg saw that he was getting on their case. And so now this Edomite, Doeg, now he sees an opportunity. This is my chance to shine. And so he begins to tell. Yeah, I saw David going there to Ahimelech, that priest. and, And such and such happened. This is what he did for him. And guess what? David wrote another psalm based on this incident, based on Doeg telling Saul that David had met with Ahimelech, the priest, and that, and that psalm is Psalm 52. And so I believe that's, a, that's the third psalm I am pointed out to you. And so you may want to uh, take a look at those psalms in your own time. But again, that's Psalm number 52 that has come from this situation in which Doeg told uh, Saul about David meeting with Ahimelech. In verse 11, it says, So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, uh, the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king, and Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword? and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to to lie in wait or in ambush as it is this day. And when we remember what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21, there is no evidence that Ahimelech inquired of God on David's behalf. But we did see him, of course, give him the showbread and give him the sword that used to belong to Goliath. And so what we see here is that usually when a person is doing or plotting evil, they tend to think that the other person they're accusing is doing the same thing. And so right then, that's showing their guilt. For example, if, if one mate in the marriage is cheating and they know they're guilty of it, they try to project that on their mate. "Oh, oh, you where are you going? What are you doing?" Now they're, all, they're showing their guilt. They're, they're showing their hand. And maybe they're, they're, they're in that mold. Maybe they're thinking that way because maybe they are doing it. Maybe they're plotting that. And you can see that with other examples too. And we see this here with Saul. And so Ahimelech in verse 14, he answered the king and he said, And who among all your servants is as faithful or as loyal as David, who was the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. In other words, everyone in your house respects David. Who else do you have who is like this young man? And Abimelech said, or Himelech said in verse 15, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it f- from me. Another version puts it this way it says "Is today the first time I inquired of God for him absolutely not so it could be read that way as well and, and many other versions suggest the same idea but we continue as it says let not the king impute anything to his servant and again this is a Himelech speaking or, or don't let the king impute anything to any in the house of my father to any other priest For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. I don't know anything about what's going on. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And so we see that Saul is planning to put him to death on the testimony of one witness, which is not scriptural. Because Deuteronomy chapter 19 uh, verse 15 says one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so King Saul, he wasn't either wasn't reading the scriptures or just didn't care, but he was willing to put uh, the the priest and, and the other priests to death just based on the testimony of Doeg. And so we see here that the, this hatred that is in Saul's heart that's bottled up in Saul's heart for David we we see that it clouded his judgment. And hate, bitterness within us can cloud our judgment as well. And so is there anyone and you could be honest, and I encourage you to be honest with the Lord. Because he knows your heart anyway. So is there anybody that you have had hate for, have bitterness for right now? Maybe you don't like them right now. Is there anybody like that right now in your life? And right now, no matter what is said about them, they could do something good. They could do something great. Their name is brought up and all of a sudden you begin to get angry. Steam starts blowing out of your ears. You start pounding your fists on the table. You want to walk out the room. You, you want to slam down the book on the table in that nice cup of coffee that you had. Now you don't want to drink it anymore at the mention of that person's name. Is there anyone like that in your life and, and it's clouding your judgment? Or have you even noticed that it's been clouding your judgment? If that's you tonight, ask the Lord to deal with that. Or if you're upset with somebody and you just can't, you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, there's nothing wrong with admitting that to the Lord. He knows it's there anyway. Lord, I know your word says to forgive this person, but Lord, I'm having a hard time. Please help me. That's humility, that is what the Lord wants. He wants you to depend on him. He wants you to be honest with him. You even see that in the Psalms where the psalmists were they, they were. They were honest about their feelings. And by the time you get to the end of the Psalm, they're encouraged because they remember the words of the Lord. They remember the character of God. But if there's anyone like that in your life, if there's bitterness tied up, wrapped up in your heart, you want to get rid of that. You want to ask for the Lord's help to help you to get rid of that or else it'll cloud your judgment. In verse 17, it says, then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. That doesn't even sound right just to even read that. I don't even know how Saul formed his lips to say that. Turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants or his officers, they would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. They had common sense. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. And so Doeg, uh, the Edomite, he turned and he struck the priests and he killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod also nob the city of the priests he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women children and nursing infants oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword and so doeg who had no problem using his mouth to accuse a man so that that man would be killed that same man had no problem using his hands to kill to murder and so what what Doeg did, I know what he did was awful. It was definitely awful, but it was also a prophecy or a, at least a, a partial fulfillment of a prophecy that God had given to Eli. Because remember early on in the, in the book of First Samuel, uh, God had used the man of God to share a word with Eli, a word of judgment. And it was because Eli, who was the Priest at that time, the high priest at that time, he didn't correct his sons who were evil priests. And so we see a partial fulfillment of what God told to Eli. He told him that his descendants will be cut off and his descendants will no longer be able to serve as priests. So, yes, it was a partial fulfillment of the word of God, the word of God that that was shared with Eli. That word of judgment. But it doesn't mean that Doeg was not responsible for his part. It doesn't mean that Saul is not responsible and was not responsible for his part in this. But we continue in verse 20. because We can make a whole another lesson on that. But in verse 20, it says, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, he escaped and he fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. And so David said to Abiathar, I knew that day. Remember in chapter 21? He said, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I just knew it. And then David here takes responsibility. He said, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And so this Abiathar was the only one of Ahimelech, the only son of Ahimelech to escape the slaughter. And we saw that he met up with David. We see that in these verses he met up with David and, and David promised him safety. He says, just hang out with me. You're going to be safe. The people who want to kill you, they want to kill me too. But you know what? It's okay. Stay with me. I'll take care of you. Stay with me, the, the, the real anointed king, and, and you're going to be safe. And so the exhortation that I have or, or I come up with. Based on what the Lord had placed upon my heart, it's for us to stay with the king. It's for us to stay with the true anointed king, King Jesus. And as long as we hang out with Jesus, as long as we stay with Jesus, as long as we abide with Jesus, of course, we produce fruit, as it tells us in John 15, but we'll also be safe because we do live in a dangerous world. We, we do live in a dangerous society, and, and we do have that same devil that was against Jesus against us. That same devil is against us, is against the people of God. But we need to stay with the king, and in him there is safety. The enemy, of course, has no authority over us. He has no power over us. He has no bullets, if you want to think of spiritual bullets. He has no bullets in his spiritual gun, so to speak. He has been disarmed by Jesus. And that's the truth. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we, we should have no fear of the enemy. But hang out with Jesus. Because the one who wanted to put... The Jewish people in in Jesus to death is the same one who's after us, the church. But we are safe in Christ. Oh, we look at this lesson and it's no doubt that there's a lot of drama. Oh, there's so much drama in this lesson in 1 Samuel 22. There's been a lot of drama just with Saul, period. But we see in this lesson in particular, we see David and Saul dragging others into their drama. Because David didn't tell Ahimelech, the priest, that he was running from Saul. He didn't tell the priest that, hey, Saul is, is acting crazy. He, he threw spears at me. He, 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 he's after me. He wants to kill me. He didn't tell the Himelech that. He just told him in 1 Samuel 21, you know what? I'm on some secret business for the king. Made it seem like everything between he and Saul was okay. He didn't tell the Himelech the truth. And so David indirectly drew a into this drama. And then, of course, Saul thought Ahimelech was conspiring against him and that Ahimelech was on David's side. And so both these men, they, 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 they brought Ahimelech and these other priests into their drama. These priests who was unaware, totally unaware what was going on. They were totally unaware that David was on the run from a man who hated him from a man who was envious of him, from a man who wanted to kill him. They didn't know because of that. They got caught in the drama and ended up murdered. And I just wonder tonight, have you ever been caught in some drama that was not your drama? Have you ever been in the position of a and you, caught in the, you got caught in the drama between two different parties? You see, as, as a parent of multiple children, I have been caught in the drama between children, between my children growing up. Oh, dad, so-and-so, she holds me some money. I, I let, you know, one of my sons, I let my, you know, my daughter, Dariel, borrow money. She won't pay me back. And they all get, you know, little Christmas money or whatever. So you get caught in the children's drama. And if you have multiple children, uh, I believe you've been caught in the drama as well between your children. And then unfortunately, we see this a lot before, during and even after funerals. We see some people caught in drama fighting over this or that. Who's going to get mom's TV? Who's going to get this jewelry or this or that? And if you haven't been caught in it, you may have heard of others who get caught in drama in in funerals or memorial services. Family members don't even want to sit in the same role during a funeral or memorial service. And I would say this, if you were ever a teenager, you most likely have been caught in some type of drama. And so all of us at one point in our lives have been caught in somebody else's drama, if not our own drama. And unfortunately, this is a common occurrence that people get caught in others' drama all the time. The citizens of a country get caught in the drama between politicians. The Children get caught in between the, the, the drama of their parents who may be at odds at times. And unfortunately, the congregation, in some cases, get caught between the drama of different church leaders. And then, of course, we know spiritually speaking, humanity got caught and is caught in the drama that the devil started. Uh, But when when others get caught in the drama, there's some things that fall out from that. There are some results That fall out from getting caught in the drama. And just like we saw in this lesson, we we know that one result of people getting caught in the drama that is not there is that people get hurt. People who are not even directly involved in the conflict, people who don't even know the whole story are getting hurt. First of all, we see this in our text tonight. And even right now, we see this politically, how people are getting hurt because people are are using something that they claim is a pandemic, for example, to push their political agendas. And who's getting hurt? The citizens of this country are getting hurt, not just this country, but many countries. We see the infringement of freedoms. We see families in debt. We see families losing jobs. And usually what happens when money is involved in many marriages, especially when those marriages are not rooted in the word of God, we see those marriages become, be begin to fall apart because many people divorce because of finances. And, and I, and I can, and I, and I can see that many marriages have been struggling due to what they claim is a pandemic and, and, and causing people to lose jobs and all this stuff. And we see people being depressed and high schoolers, healthy high schoolers, athletes taking their lives because of depression. Oh, we see that, that people get hurt because, uh, for example, politicians pushing their agenda. We, we, we see the children getting hurt in situations of divorce. The children are caught in the drama between... The parents who want to get a divorce and they put the children and the loved ones in awkward positions because the the children and the loved ones, they don't want to show favoritism to one side, but they also want to show that they still love both sides. But how can I do that and not make it seem like I'm showing favoritism? And so the children are hurt, the loved ones are hurt, even in situations of divorce, Oh, we see many examples of people getting hurt because they are caught in somebody else's drama. Oh, we see when there are disagreements between church leaders over things that are non-essentials to the Christian faith. Oh, we've seen these many times lead to church splits. Oh, this congregation, this part of the congregation is going to side with this church leader and this side of the congregation. They're going to go with that church leader. And so you have division in the body of Christ, which is which is demonic. Because the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So if there's confusion in the body of Christ and where is it coming from? But when, we, but when we see the disagreements between church leaders leading to church splits, leading uh, to people choosing sides uh, with these church leaders and so forth. We see an example of how people could get hurt. In the drama. In the mess. And we see, of course, that drama that was started by the devil, by Lucifer. Oh, remember, he wanted to be God. He wasn't satisfied with being part of his creation and having a high position. He wasn't satisfied with that. He wasn't satisfied with his beauty, with his role. No, he wanted to take the place of God. And we see that that mess, that drama that was started by the devil, we we saw how that led to Eve. Eve. The first woman being deceived and how it led to Adam, the first man, disobeying God by eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All because of some drama that the devil started. Oh, and then because of that, because of the disobedience of, of Adam, the, the first man, because of that, now uh, we got caught in the drama because now we have the sin nature that has been passed down to all of us, to, to every human. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus didn't have a human father. See, the seed comes from the man. He didn't have a human father. So Jesus had a human nature, but he didn't have a sin nature. But all other humans have a sin nature. And it was passed down to all of us. All because of this drama that was started by the enemy. All because of this drama in the Garden of Eden. And then what will come of this drama? Well, death. You have death, it brought death, it brought physical death, it brought spiritual death. And and remember, physical death is separation of the soul from the body. We're talking about separation when we talk about death. And spiritual death is separation of, uh, of man's spirit from God. That's how we relate to God. That's how we are to worship him. Jesus even said that he's seeking those who are not, you know, don't focus on worshiping in this mountain or that mountain. Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman at the well. No, God is seeking those who are going to worship him in in spirit and in truth. For what? For God is spirit. You see, but when we talk about spiritual death, we're talking about no connection. We're talking about separation between man and God, all because of some drama. And we also see that this drama brought a curse upon the earth. Oh, but there is some good news. And the good news is that eventually God will bring an end to all of this drama. All of the drama that we read about, all of the, the drama that we see, all of the drama that we experience within our churches and our families and as citizens in this country, all of the drama that we experience in our lives personally, all of that will be brought to an end by God. Because one day he's going to put an end to human-run government. And Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar I should say, he actually had a dream about this when he, when he dreamt about that statue that was made up of various metals. And, and then he dreamt about that stone that was not made with hands. It, it, it bowled over and, and it destroyed that statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about. And, and that statue represented all of the different human-run kingdoms of the world. Oh, but that stone, that huge stone that bowled them over and destroyed that statue, that that represents Jesus Christ destroying all of the human-run government and setting up his own kingdom that's going to be established forever. So he will bring an end to all this drama, drama when he puts an end to human-run government and sets up his own government for eternity. You see all of these things right now that we, we see coming into place even for the tribulation period. We, we see these things being set up for the Antichrist and a false prophet. All of those things will receive their end. You see, God is going to bring an end to that drama. And, and we're going to see this perfect government one day that is run by Jesus Christ. Before we get to the eternal order, you're going to see the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, where he literally reigns on this earth and we will be his helpers. We're going to rule and reign with him. And it says that his headquarters is going to be Jerusalem. And in that millennial kingdom, you're going to see the wolf and the lamb lying together. He, he said they're, they're, not, they're not going to be able to kill. They're not going to be able to hurt anything in his holy mountain. And in fact, he said that the knowledge of God, it tells us in Isaiah chapter 11, that the knowledge of God will cover the earth just like the water covered the seas. And so there's going to be worldwide righteousness. He's going to rule with the rod of iron during that time, during that millennial kingdom where he literally reigns on this earth. And so people won't be out of control. And so he'll bring an end to this drama that we'll see. He'll bring a perfect government for a thousand years and then on into the eternal state or eternal order. Or he's going to bring an end to that? To Satan, that, that drama king, so to speak. He's gonna bring an end to him and cast him into the lake of fire, it tells us in Revelation 20, verse 10. In fact, we're even gonna see death. That's a result of the drama started by Satan and then, of course, perpetuated by Adam as he disobeyed and, and ate that fruit. We're even gonna see death cast into the lake of fire, death and Hades, it says. Cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. And so God is going to bring an end to the drama. All of that drama that comes with our sin nature. This group of people against this group of people, the, the issues that we all dealing with the the, the sickness and the, the, the pain and the, the arguments and the divorces and and this family member not getting along with this family members, the divisions the that are within the church and, and all of these freedoms in our country being taken away, and all these crazy things going on in the educational system and, and all of these things, these, these bad thoughts that we have, these sinful deeds that we have and and all of these these crazy things that we do, because we give in to the sin nature, all of those will be done away with, there's going to be an end to all the drama that comes from our lives. There's going to be an end to the drama that is in our lives. There's going to be an end to the drama that we find ourselves stuck in the middle of. And all the drama will be put to an end because of Jesus, who was not a drama king, by the way. But he's a king who's going to stop the drama. Amen. Amen. As the worship team comes to the stage, Father, we thank you. That although we find ourselves in some mess, maybe we dug ourselves in the mess. Maybe we're just caught in between. But we know, Lord, that you're going to bring an end to the mess, to the drama. We know that we see it in your word. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that hope that we have. This hope that we cannot find in the world, we cannot find in our own hearts. but that hope we find in you. And the promises that you give are yes and amen. And we can rest assured, Father, that that you're going to bring all the mess, all the stuff that bothers us to an end. Oh, we pray for peace tonight. We pray for bitterness of soul to be lifted tonight from our brothers and sisters, if they're experiencing that. If there's someone, Lord, who is in a state of discontentment, but they have not yet put their faith in you to find true contentment, I pray that you'll lead them to that place. I pray that you withdraw people out of bitterness. I pray that you lift the oppression of the enemy. I pray that my brothers and sisters will not listen to the lies of the enemy. I pray for encouragement and boldness. And blessings to be upon them. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you all for coming out tonight. Please continue to keep each other in prayer. Be encouraged. That if you're caught in some drama... That God is going to end it one day. That when we don't see it, as the song says, when we don't feel it, we know that he's still working. And So be blessed, be used by God this week. And I pray that you all will have a, a blessed Christmas with your families. And if you need prayer.